Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. Forgive me for my voice, it has been stolen and I am just waiting to get it back. This week, I'm going to tell you the story about a beautiful little girl named Zara Baker and the evil step monster who ruined everything. Small talk is obnoxious, so let's dive in. Adam Baker and Emily Dietrich met and fell in love in Wagga Wagga, Australia, which, yes, is a real place. Their romance blossomed, and eventually, in November of 2009, Emily gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. They named her Zara. Unfortunately, Adam and Emily don't work out, and Adam actually winds up getting custody of eight-month-old Zara and cares for her on his own with the help of his mother. Zara lives out her little Aussie life in Australia, carefree and with a cute accent and adorable freckles all over her face. But sometimes life can be a real dick, and in 2004, little Zara was diagnosed with bone cancer. But the good news is, is that she beat it. She had to have one leg amputated just above the knee, but she beat bone cancer. Out of the woods, she continues living the life of any normal Australian child, you know, Getting a sweet tan, hugging koala bears, keeping the fuck away from kangaroos and dingoes. But in 2007, I shit you not, this sweet little girl was diagnosed with cancer a second time. But this time it was lung cancer. You have to be kidding me. This kind of thing never happens to bad people. But the chemo treatments work and she beats cancer again. Though she does lose some hearing due to the kind of chemo treatments that she got. Zara now requires the use of a prosthesis and hearing aids, but otherwise is a perfectly normal child who people describe as friendly, joyful, and well-mannered. While Zara was in remission in 2006, her father Adam created an account on a website called IMVU. This is basically a game, but with real people behind the avatars playing it. You know those ads on Instagram where the cartoon woman pops up and she's got perfect boobs and she's holding a pregnancy test, looking shocked, and you can either click, tell him it's his, or don't say anything. It's basically like that, but you have more freedom. You make your character look however you want them to look, and you go to these parties and socialize, and you legitimately talk to these avatars, which are people on other sides of the internet. Adam winds up falling in love with one of the other characters in his game. Her real name is Elisa, and she lives all the way across the world, in the United States, in North Carolina to be exact. After Zara went into remission from her second bout with cancer, Elisa travels to Australia where her and Adam get married. Sure, two years of talking online looking like Justin Bieber and Shania Twain seems like a reasonable amount of time to move on to the next stage of life, get married, and uproot their whole lives and move to North Carolina. So they did. And Adam's family is wearing their what-the-fuck shoes because Zara has a complicated medical history, and it involves consistent checkups and even the risk of getting cancer again. Healthcare is free in Australia, so why would they move to the States where healthcare is a business? But they're dumb and in love, and they do what they want. They move into some subpar homes here and there in North Carolina, never staying in one place for too long, finally settling into the house they currently live in in late August or early September of 2010. And then all hell breaks loose. 
Around 1 p.m. on August 9th, 2010, Zara hasn't come out of her room, so Elisa goes in to check on her and runs out of the house screaming to her husband, who's doing yard work. She tells him that Zara's gone, and he's like, what? The two search the house and around the block for like an hour before finally calling 911 to report their daughter missing. During that 911 call, Adam jokes that his daughter's going through puberty and only comes out of her room when she wants something. I mean, that's cool, make jokes while you report your only child missing, but I mean, we're all gonna judge you. Police get to the house and they're like, oh hey, weren't we here earlier? I shit you not, the police and fire department had been called to the home that morning, a little after 5am, for a freaking fire in their backyard. Wanna know what else they found? On one of their SUVs, gasoline had been poured all over it and a ransom letter was sitting on the windshield. This is so extra. Any guesses as to who the ransom letter was addressed to? Whoever you guessed was wrong. The letter was addressed to Adam's boss, basically saying that he liked power, so who has the power now? I've got your daughter and I want a million dollars or your pot-smoking redheaded son is next, and that they'd be in touch. Well, Adam's boss's daughter was fine, and she's sure as shit doesn't live there, and his boss doesn't have a son, so kidnapping him would be really difficult. This seems super random and out of place, but the home that the Bakers live in is actually owned by Adam's boss, so I'll give them that. Maybe the kidnapper who didn't kidnap his boss's daughter really thought he lived there. So we've got a 5am fire, a ransom note about abducting Adam's boss's daughter who was not abducted, and a missing Zara who is nowhere to be found. Police take both Adam and Elisa down to the station for questioning, and that's where Elisa says that she heard Zara coughing the night before around 2.30 a.m. She said she went to make sure she was all right, and she was, so she went back to sleep. I can't imagine how no one checked on this child until 1 p.m. the next morning, though. I mean, there was a fire in the backyard and a ransom note left on one of the vehicles. Not a single person was like, damn, that girl can sleep through anything. Let's make sure she's okay. Or, let's make sure this ransom note guy didn't steal the wrong kid. No, no one asked that. No one thought that. Elise is given a polygraph consisting of three questions. One, did you hurt Zara? Two, do you know anyone who harmed Zara? Three, do you know who wrote the ransom letter? She failed the entire thing. All three questions. So, this smells bad and police need to keep her there, so they decide to charge her with some pending charges she had looming above her head from previous run-ins with the law. At 10.45 p.m., almost nine hours after reporting her stepdaughter missing, she's charged with larceny by an employee, driving on a revoked license, six counts of passing bad checks, and two counts of communicating threats. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but when this is your cover letter, it's really hard not to make assumptions. At the same time Elisa's being interrogated and bombing her polygraph, Zara's father, Adam, is also being questioned, insisting that whoever left the ransom note on his windshield is the person who took his daughter. But police aren't so sure that the letter is legit. No one has reached out for this supposed $1 million ransom, and frankly, there are no coincidences in crime. 
It turns out that Adam also has a hefty number of outstanding charges they could lay down on him, but they choose not to. My guess? He's cooperating and they don't want to push him into a corner where he stops talking and hires a lawyer. So authorities continue on knowing they had that in their back pocket, if necessary. That night, an Amber Alert hits the airwaves for 10-year-old Zara Baker, last seen at her home wearing a camo army shirt and black knee-length leggings, 5 feet and 1 inch tall, weighing 85 pounds. She has brown hair, blue eyes, has a slight Australian accent, and a prosthetic leg. They didn't mention anything about who she was last seen with, any car she may be in, or who may have abducted her, and that's probably because no one really thought she had been. In fact, police go straight to work trying to confirm the statements made by her parents. They get security footage from local businesses and search the home and yard for any traces of little Zara. Police get a search warrant for the Baker home. It's seen wrapped off with crime scene tape. Generally, the parents of missing children are buying donuts by the ton, trying to keep police in their house long enough to find their missing children. Warrants aren't usually necessary, unless they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's. Maybe police are so suspicious of the parents that they want to make sure that all legal bases are covered before locating any potential evidence, so that if this goes to trial, no one can claim that anything was found illegally. First things first, they find no sign of a struggle, and we know that in terms of children, this usually means whoever did this was someone from inside the house. If a random stranger pops into a house and tries to get a 10-year-old out without a peep, they're going to be really disappointed. 10-year-olds are a mess. I've had one, trust me. Terrified 10-year-olds are another story. Zara would likely be screaming, thrashing, hitting end tables, and knocking things over, but there wasn't any evidence that this happened, so either she was familiar with her abductor or her abductor had time to clean up and knew exactly where to put everything back. Police find Zara's hearing aids placed neatly beside her bed. She did not take them with her. I can be almost positively certain she wasn't like, hold on, abductor, can I please take these out real quick? So I'm going to guess that whatever happened to her happened at a natural time where she wouldn't have been wearing them, like while she was sleeping or when she was in the shower. What they don't find is Zara's prosthetic leg that did disappear with her. I did a little research and it looks like it's pretty common for children to sleep with their prosthetics on. It's easier to use the bathroom at night or get something to drink and it's just a factor that they don't have to worry about in the morning. At this point, half of the detectives in the police department, not including patrol, were out searching for this 10-year-old girl. Canines are brought to the house to track her scent, but the dogs alert to nothing outside. Not a thing. It's almost as if she never stepped foot outside of that home. There was no trail to follow whatsoever when it came to Zara. So if Zara wasn't in the house, it looks like she was probably carried outside. Within 48 hours of being reported missing, the FBI and the U.S. Marshals are called in to assist in the case. And this isn't unusual when it comes to crimes against children. This is, however, the oh shit moment for every bad guy out there. While detectives canvass the neighborhood, they start interviewing neighbors. And one by one, they all say that they had no idea that the Bakers even had a daughter. One neighbor says that him and Adam had talked across fences on more than one occasion and that he never mentioned having a daughter. There were no signs of one either. On October 11th, Pandora's box blows wide open. 
Police had begun interviewing previous neighbors, remember they lived a bit of a nomad life, and while they all loved Zara, no one, and I mean no one, had anything good to say about Elisa. One of the neighbors tells ABC News that Elisa and Zara's relationship was troubled and that Elisa was cold and stern towards her stepdaughter. Okay, that's not that bad. I'm sure all parents can be described as cold or stern at some point, but this is just the beginning. Another neighbor tells ABC News that she's heard Elisa yelling and screaming at Zara and even saw her hitting the 10-year-old on more than one occasion. The school even did a home visit once after she showed up with two black eyes, which she blamed on a door. I got in touch with a friend of Zara's third grade teacher from Hudson Elementary who said that Zara would come to school constantly hungry, her hair full of lice, and often wearing dirty clothes, apparently even telling her teacher that her family life was rough. But don't get me wrong here, while she was uncared for at home, her teachers adored her, and this teacher in particular formed a super close bond with her. This teacher has since passed, and when she did, an artist put together a beautiful silhouette of the two of them, her reading a book to little Zara. I'll add this photo to a highlight under her case on my Instagram so everybody can see it. Another neighbor tells ABC News that Elisa would take Zara on long walks on her prosthetic leg and threaten her with different punishments anytime she would slow down. A neighbor who lived in an apartment next to them at one point said that Adam and Elisa made Zara sleep in an attic space above their apartment. The only way to access it was through a 20-inch by 20-inch opening in a closet. They would hear her rustling around above them and the noises stopped when they moved out in November of 2009. Another neighbor says that Elisa made up the weirdest lies, like how she was a songwriter for Chris Daughtry, the guy from American Idol who has a band now. She also said once that she was an ex-cop who had been shot in the line of duty. Oh, even better, she said she used to be a bounty hunter who had met a bunch of celebrities, because you know bounty hunters meet so many celebrities. When I say Pandora's box exploded, I mean the floodgates opened and a tsunami rained down. More people started talking and say that Adam and Elisa used to keep Zara in her room for most of the day, only letting her out of the room for maybe an hour at a time. One of Elisa's ex-husbands started reaching out saying that he 100% believed that she was capable of harming Zara. Him, Elisa's own biological daughter, and Zara's school had all filed reports with the Department of Social Services regarding Zara's abuse. But nothing ever happened. It's reported that every time DSS came to the house, Zara either refused to speak or denied any abuse. A family member told WCNC, I knew this day was going to come. Everybody knew with how Zara was being treated, this was going to happen. According to the Charlotte Observer, North Carolina has had a troubled child protection system for a long time now. One statistic noted that between 2005 and 2010, at least 132 children died from suspected abuse or neglect within 12 months of the Department of Social Services having contact with the specific family. It's said that most of the 137 died of illnesses or accidents, but at least 26 of those children became victims of homicide. I'm reminded of the Malia Davis case, while not in North Carolina, still a case where social services was involved more than once, and eventually she died at the hands of one of the people suspected of abusing her. Anyways, back to the case.
Police learned that Zara was not enrolled in school this year. Instead, Elisa had called the school and told them that Zara was going to be homeschooled instead, which is odd. They lived in one of the best school districts in the area, and there was a state-funded school for the hearing impaired about a half an hour from their house. But Elisa's an idiot. She had no idea that you had to become certified to homeschool and that she still had to register the child with a school district. Zara wasn't being homeschooled. She was being alienated from the public and subject to her abuser 24-7. No one can report abuse when they never see the child. It's safe to say that things were not looking good for missing 10-year-old little Zara, and her stepmom was looking more and more guilty by the minute. Police go back to the Baker house, but with cadaver dogs this time. Maybe if they couldn't find her scent, they could find some kind of evidence that a body had been there. And bingo! The canines give positive alerts to decomposition on not one, but both of the Baker's vehicles, outside and inside. I'm not proud of knowing this, but I mean, I have a podcast about crime, so let's not pretend to be shocked. It's rumored that the smell of gasoline can be used to cover up the smell of decomposition. It's apparently not uncommon for people in rural areas to use this trick when there's a dead animal near their house and the smell is overwhelming. So remember the 5 a.m. call to the Baker house about the fire the day Zara was reported missing. The Tahoe was doused in gasoline. Maybe it was a staged arson designed to cover up the smell of decomposition in that vehicle. Police gather evidence, gas cans, remnants from the fire that morning, which contained clothes, by the way, drug paraphernalia, a swab of possible blood from inside one of the vehicles, three swabs from the center console, a pillow, and a comforter. While Elisa's in jail, Adam has himself a press tour, and it seems less about finding his daughter and more about saving his own ass. Adam says he works long hours and usually goes to work before his daughter wakes up and comes home after she's in bed. He works in landscaping, but sure. Because of these long hours, he said that the last time he had seen Zara was Thursday before she went missing because she was still asleep on Friday when he went to work and she was in bed by the time he got home. He does an interview with Good Morning America where he quickly throws his wife under the bus, saying that with the evidence he's been shown, he thinks she may be involved in whatever happened to Zara. This case gains momentum fast, and soon everyone across the country and even in Australia are talking about missing Zara. So it's not long before people track down her evil stepmother's social media accounts. Her MySpace was a doozy, and yes, I said MySpace. Elisa lives to blog on her MySpace, where she goes by the name Miss Gothic Fairy. She mostly writes about how to get negative attention and sympathy, talking about how she had incurable brain cancer that she had been diagnosed with three times, once in 1990, once in 1994, and again in 2006. How in the world are you diagnosed with something incurable three separate times? That's the equivalent of saying the sky is blue. The sky is still blue. The sky is also blue. But pretending it's a revelation every time. But alas, we must remember that Elisa is known for lying. She went on to say that her brain cancer made it hard to even get out of bed most days, that even walking was a challenge, let alone cleaning the house. The same woman who would take Zara on long walks on her prosthetic leg and punish her for slowing down, but okay. Police continue searching for Zara and tracking down every lead they can, talking to neighbors, old teachers, schools she once went to, families of children she used to play with, and outside of Adam and Elisa, police realize that no one seems to have seen Zara in weeks. 
They ask that anyone who has seen her in the last month please contact police, whether it's a store clerk, a family member, or just someone passing her at a gas station. The last time anyone reports seeing her was six weeks prior when they moved from their old house into the one they currently live in. They remember Zara being devastated that she couldn't bring her cats with her, but her parents made sure to keep their pit bulls. This would have been around August 28th, which also would have been about the first day of school or so of the kids in that school district. According to WCNC, Your Home Furnishings comes forward to say that they saw Zara about two weeks before she went missing, around the last week of September. They say she was watching cartoons in front of the wall of TVs that they had, and they specifically remembered seeing her prosthetic leg. Around the same time, one of their previous neighbors from a trailer park they once lived in say they saw Adam and Elisa come back to their old home after dark one night late in September. Zara was not with them. The neighbor says that night there was a smell so horrible coming from a manhole cover near their home that they couldn't even describe it. Things aren't looking good, so for good measure, they charge Elisa with two more of her outstanding charges, still unrelated to the disappearance of her stepdaughter, though. They tack on driving without insurance and something about her registration. Frankly, the second charge looked like alphabet soup. But the bottom line is that they're doing everything they can to keep this woman behind bars. It should come as no shock that she is not cooperating with police. But as luck would have it, on October 12th, Elisa admits to writing the fake ransom note found on the windshield of their Tahoe. This dummy wrote it in her own damn handwriting. Whatever happened to cutting letters out of magazines? Anyway... She's charged with obstruction, finally something in relation to Zara's case, and naturally she requests a court-appointed attorney. On the same day, the police canceled the Amber Alert, and as much as I wish it was because they thought they may know where Zara was, it unfortunately is not the case here. Police announced that this is no longer a missing persons case, and it is now being considered a homicide investigation. The little town they live in is devastated. They're constantly organizing searches for Zara and holding candlelight vigils for this sweet girl who seemed to have gotten lost in the cracks of the system. Police go back out to the property, canines in tow, and they alert to a wood chipper. They take the wood chipper apart piece by piece and the dogs alert to the engine. And while this took the breath out of everyone while they waited for results, it didn't seem to involve Zara at all. Authorities say that the alert could have come from anyone who cut themselves while working on this particular piece of machinery. About 30 minutes away down Heartland Road, police are also searching a property known to be frequented by Adam Baker. The dogs lead officers to a four-foot pile of wood chips, which they give a positive alert to. They dig and sift through this pile, but again find nothing. Police drain a local pond, looking for any sign of Zara, but the pond leads them nowhere. They search four more properties where the bakers used to live and again come up empty. Locals start to worry that this case was on its way to running cold. And while Adam Baker had been accompanying police to every single search location, his story suddenly started to wobble. He now says he can't be sure that he saw his daughter Thursday night and that it may have actually been Tuesday. I mean, which is it though? Did you see your daughter two days before she went missing or four days before she went missing? How involved is this guy as a father anyways? He seemed to either turn a blind eye to the abuse inflicted on his daughter by his wife or play ignorant, and now he can't remember which day of the week he last saw her alive? It's not like she's a busy teenager going out and you're passing ships in the night. She needs you to cook her meals and wash her clothes. She's 10.
Shockingly enough, Adam stops cooperating with police, and while they note that he seemed to show concern for his missing daughter, they don't believe it's genuine. Police get another search warrant. They gain access to all of the baker's phones and computer records and are seen in the house again, this time taking out a bed frame, mattress, box spring, and two additional bags of evidence. On the computer, they find that Adam and Elisa were using that site IMVU that they met on to roleplay a chainsaw massacre on September 22nd. They even allude to acting it out. Ew. As the theme of this case goes, they had canines search the outside and inside of the home again. WSOC-TV interviews one of the dog handlers and asks if the dogs alerted to anything outside. They confirm that the dogs did not. When asked if they alerted to anything inside, the handler said that they couldn't comment and that they needed to talk to police about that. I love confirmation in the form of a non-answer. Police begin searching a local landfill, which usually means they think or have knowledge of someone putting something in a dumpster. In this case, they say they're looking for a mattress, a different mattress than the one taken from the Baker home earlier in the investigation. The landfill spans 40 acres, but police are focusing on a 100-foot by 200-foot section, which contains around 11,000 pounds of garbage. They search, and they search, and they search, and they don't find the mattress. They find plenty of other mattresses, but not the one they're looking for. Everything in this case seems to wind up at a dead end. However, a couple days later, they get a phone call from the landfill. Workers were going through the site where they had just been searching, and they found Zara's mattress. Fucking finally! Some good news in this case, and I'm about to drop some more. Remember those charges Adam had looming over his head? Well, come October 25th, they all came crashing down on him. They arrest Adam at 3 a.m. at the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. It said he was there to pick up his mother and brother who were flying in from Australia, but there were no flights coming in or going out between midnight and 6 a.m., and the only way police would have known he was there is if they were tailing him. Police charge Adam with five counts of bad checks, two counts of failure to appear for communicating threats and a failure to appear for assault with a deadly weapon and one count of failure to return rental property. Unfortunately, his bond is only $7,000. Now both parents are locked away and unable to obstruct justice in any way. And while I'm elated that Adam is finally locked away, since when are people allowed to not go to court for an assault with a deadly weapon charge? That's a pretty big deal, and this guy was responsible for a child with special needs. You have to wonder, if justice had been properly served on time, would Zara still be here? Unfortunately, Adam bails out of jail within 48 hours of his arrest. On October 26th, something happens that shocks everyone. Elisa is taken from the jail to three different search sites. Eventually, they locate Zara's prosthetic leg wrapped in a plastic garbage bag. It was off a main road in a wooded area, not buried or anything, just laying there in an area locals have been known to dump trash. It's clear that Elisa is talking because police are back at the Baker home and tearing it apart. They're using luminol, they're digging up pipes in the front yard, the whole nine yards. Blood evidence is found in the house. 
Police are seen measuring, digging, taking pictures of what they find in holes. They remove furniture and even some of the paneling from inside the house. It's reported that Eric Gein of Serial Killers, Inc., a dealer of crime memorabilia, wrote Elisa in jail under a fake name and she blabbered like a drunk frat boy. She tells this assumed stranger that Zara had been sick for two weeks with some kind of stomach bug and that when they went to check on her one morning, she was dead. She says that when Adam was alone, he dismembered his daughter and she helped him dispose of her body parts. For the second time in this investigation, they do a handwriting analysis and confirmed that it was in fact Elisa who wrote these letters. Elisa also tells her aunt, Buzzy Winkler, true story, real name, She tells her aunt essentially the same story, but adds one little detail. That Zara died on September 24th. That's two weeks before they ever reported her missing. In November of 2010, almost a month after reporting her stepdaughter missing, Elisa takes police to different locations around Catawba and Caldwell counties where they can find different pieces of Zara's body. What they do find are just bones. Bones with tool marks on them from the dismemberment process. Elisa says they disposed of her prosthetic leg in the Fox Ridge Apartments dumpster, even though it was found somewhere completely different. She says that Zara was dismembered in the bathtub and that they'd find some of her bones and blood in the drain trap of the bathtub, as well as the glove she used in her bathroom. Hold up. The glove she used? I thought she said Adam was the one who dismembered her. But remember that warrant for the phone records? Elisa's cell phone shows her and her only in the area where Zara's body parts were dumped. She says they transported her remains in a bed cover and a car cover, which they disposed of in the Fair Value grocery store dumpster. Zara's skull isn't found until April of 2012, when a hunter stumbles across it in the woods. DNA eventually confirms that all of these bones belong to sweet 10-year-old Zara Baker. Zara's 11th birthday comes and goes. They hold a birthday vigil for her where they celebrate her life and release white balloons. They also collect toys and donate them to children in need in her honor. Her father does not attend. Instead, he watches the ceremony via live stream on the freaking internet telling WBTV that he cried through the entire thing. In January, police troll Elisa, and I kid you not, they tack on an extra charge, and it has nothing to do with Zara. Elisa is charged with bigamy. I repeat, bigamy. It turns out that Elisa married Adam before getting legally divorced from her sixth husband, Aaron. Aaron filed for divorce from Elisa in June of 2009, but Adam and Elisa got married in July of 2008. Awkward. Zara's remains can't indicate a cause of death, but the medical examiner determines that it was not due to natural causes and deems the manner of death as undetermined homicidal violence. Elisa takes a plea that allowed her to avoid the death penalty or life in prison if the case were ever to go to trial. She was finally charged in February of 2011 
and in September, she pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 18 years. They added an additional 10 years for the drug charges. That's 28 years. With good behavior, she'll be eligible for parole in 14. Since she was sentenced in 2011, that means she has the chance of being released back into the free world as early as 2025. Many locals don't feel like this was justice served, and frankly, I'm with them here. Zara's father was never charged in relation to her death, ever. They used a bed cover and a car cover to dispose of Zara's body parts, and both of their vehicles indicated the presence of human remains. I highly doubt they took one trip with half of her body parts, came back home, put the rest of her body parts in the other vehicle, and took a second trip to discard their dead and dismembered 10-year-old daughter. Logically, as hard as it is to use that word in this situation, it sounds like two people used one vehicle each to discard of different body parts at the same time across two different counties. But in the end, only one person was held responsible for this crime. The man who lived in a home for two weeks after his daughter had died without reporting her missing. The man who called 911, pretending to be shocked that he couldn't find Zara, who hadn't been there since September, was never charged. In fact, he was given what remains they did locate of Zara's and then skipped the country and moved back to Australia. Zara beat cancer twice, only to have her life stolen from her by the two people she should have been able to trust the most in this world. This isn't a case where abuse went unnoticed. This isn't a case where abuse went unreported. This is a case where it just didn't matter. The people in charge of loving and caring for little Zara failed her, and in the end, everyone else failed to save her. If we take anything from this case, let it be to report any abuse we see, we're supposed to be advocates for our children, and when the people in place to care for our children fail to do that, it's time for someone else to step in and do it for them. Be that asshole, lose that friend, save that child. The school that Zara went to now has a garden in her memory, and Hickory, North Carolina, built a really beautiful park in her honor, the Zara Baker All Children's Playground. I'll post pictures of the park and other photos relevant to the case, like mugshots and other things, and a highlight on my Instagram at the Heather Ashley, where I post all photos relevant to any of the cases that we cover. On Monday, we'll be finishing up the Chris Watts case, and then each week, you'll be getting a brand new case every single Monday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, subscribe and give us a rating or even a review. But until Monday, we out.